You're listening to the Group Practice Exchange Podcast. We're the business development resource for group practice owners, where we talk candidly about business ownership and leadership. From practice building tips to live coaching to real talk episodes with other group practice owners, we're the resource you've been looking for to help you grow your group practice. I'm your host, group practice owner and entrepreneur, Maureen Werbach. This episode is sponsored by Therapy Notes. Therapy Notes is an online EHR, practice management, and billing software designed for mental health professionals. Therapy Notes has everything you need to manage patient records, schedule appointments, create rich documentation, and bill insurance right at your fingertips. They offer free and unlimited live support seven days a week. Their streamlined software is accessible wherever and whenever you need it. To get two free months, go to www.therapynotes.com forward slash r forward slash the group practice exchange. Need a new accountant or bookkeeper? Meet Green Oak Accounting, an accounting firm that works specifically with private practices. They do all of your accounting needs from budgeting to accounting to bookkeeping and payroll to building your dashboard. On top of that, they can help you set up your profit first systems. Go to greenoakaccounting.com and mention the Group Practice Exchange for $100 off your first month. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Group Practice Exchange podcast. And I'm really excited. This week, I've got Don Miller. As most of you know, he should not need an introduction, but I'm going to do it anyways. He's the CEO of StoryBrand. He's an author of many books, but the most common ones that you'll know of are his business books, uh, Building a Story Brand, and his most recent one that came out just like a couple months ago, is Business Made Simple. Uh, He also has the Business Made Simple University, which I'm a part of for the past year or so and love. And it's essentially an online course catalog that helps people um, run run and grow their businesses. And he's got anything from communication courses to marketing and messaging, proposals made simple. I know we had fun with that one. Um, And everything in between. And he's also our keynote for our now 2022 Group Practice Owners Conference. Hi, Don. Hi. Good to see you. <laughs> Long intro there. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm really excited to have you on and talk about your newest book. Um, how was writing that book? It was actually great. It, you know, each book tricks you into writing it because you think, oh, this will be really helpful and it won't take me a lot of time. And then a year and a half later, you're still knee deep in it. Uh, but uh, it, it's great. It, you know, it's 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 laid out uh in, in micro learning fashion, which interestingly, your, your listeners will probably understand just how the brain works. And, you know, you pour a cup of coffee, you read each daily entry, you watch a video. And after 60 days, you should know pretty much more than you would have ever learned it with a business degree. And uh, it was fun putting together a different kind of book and having the video element to it. And, uh, and it's done, it's done extremely well. So, so I'm proud of that. And I hope that it helps a lot of people. So one of the things that your book starts off with is talking about this idea of, and I think it's like 10 characteristics of a values-driven professional. And you go through some of those things like being a hero versus a victim, um, having an abundance mindset, being able to accept feedback. What do you see as the most common characteristics that leaders struggle with when they're trying to grow into being a values-driven leader? Well, it's funny because, again, this audience will understand. I had uh, a friend read the book and his wife is a therapist. 
And she said, basically, these 10 characteristics represent a healthy person, right? I mean, they're not, yep. you know, they're not, they don't accept victim bait is what I call it. When somebody tempts you to see yourself as a victim, you, you sort of, you don't, you don't do that. Uh, you understand that at least in the economic uh, function of America, you are an economic product. I mean, you are selling yourself and your expertise and your skills to an employer for a paycheck. And that means if you want that paycheck to grow, you got to give them a really great return on that investment. So I actually see that as a very healthy way of viewing the world. I see, you know, I believe my spouse sees me as priceless. God sees me as priceless. So hopefully my family sees me as priceless. My friends see me as priceless. Uh, the economic market does not see me as priceless. <laughs> uh, you know, and so hopefully we can separate those two things. Um, you know, learning from failures is something that, uh, you know, so much of the 10 characteristics of what we call a value-driven professional, uh, honestly, Maureen, it's, it's stuff I've learned in, in my own therapy, doing my own work. I used to have a real strong victim mindset. And, and when that changed or began to change, because I don't think it changes overnight, uh, things took off for me. You know, I was able to lose some weight, uh, write some best-selling books, start a company, get married, start a family, you know, things that... I wasn't able to do before uh, because I really was trapped in my own mind in some ways. So I'm grateful. So, you know, maybe the first 10 sections of the book or the first 10 entries are actually, um, uh, hopefully they drive people to see therapists and increase you guys' business. I intended intended a business book to help you grow your business, but maybe there's another way to do that. Just hand people and they'll realize how sick they are and they need help. I was going to say, you mentioned um, the victim mindset piece, and I see that a lot in um, with coaching other group practice owners is this like kind of goes in hand with this, but the scarcity mindset, this fear based mindset, um, especially when it comes to employees of theirs, other clinicians who may eventually, um, you know, set up their own shop and start their own private practice. And there's always this sense of like scarcity mindset from the group practice owners of that the their team is, you know, picking up and kind of taking their clients and starting their own business. Um, and it takes kind of an evolution for a lot of uh, group practice owners and leaders to really get to this place where they feel comfortable with the kind of ebb and flow of people, you know, to some degree coming and going. And there's some people who are meant to have their own business, even if they're employed with you for some time, um, and that that's okay. And I feel like that's such a hard lesson to learn for a lot of leaders, especially new new to business. Yeah. And that, you know, that's true probably in group practice of businesses. It's true in a lot of other businesses too, uh, yeah. where people will, you know, if they have an entrepreneurial mindset, they're going to run their own company someday. They're going to run their own right. business. And of course we're looking for people who enjoy teamwork and the community that comes from, from, uh, working with a group of people. Uh, but that, that's going to happen. And I love that you brought up scarcity mindset because that was a big paradigm shift for me many years ago was that there's actually plenty of business. Uh, it changes, it flows, it ebbs. Uh, you have to change with it. Uh, uh, but at the same time, there's plenty of business out there. And and I would say one in every 10 to 20 people who need to be in therapy are. So you're looking at a blue ocean kind of uh, outlook there. I, I think the difference is, though, you know, one of the things that we talk about in the book is instead of saying that you're a therapist, you want to say, hey, I work with people who... Uh, whose careers seem to be on pause because they just can't get motivated. I'm a therapist. So when you actually state the problem that's specific to the person you might be talking to, 
the fact that you're a therapist holds a lot more value. So really, if we're having trouble growing our practices, it's probably not because there are not enough people in the market. It's because they aren't hearing the words that make them realize they need some therapy. And uh, that's just a communication issue. It's not a business issue. Yeah, that's a good point. I was going to say, you mentioned in um, some part of your book, kind of leadership in a nutshell, being um, able to invite your team into a story, uh, being able to explain why that story matters, and then kind of rallying the team into playing a role in the story of the business. Um, And in our industry, it's kind of interesting, and maybe it's not that interesting. I'm sure people think their industry is very interesting and different than everyone else's. But um, it's one where our industry group practice is one where its employees are clinicians providing mental health support or medical support to clients. And, um, there's difficulty from leadership around helping its employees, um, play a role in the business's story because, um, a lot of clinicians work in silos. There's not teams, so to speak, like other uh, businesses have where they have departments and teams. Um, People essentially are practitioners, outpatient, going in one client session to another, may not even see another therapist in the practice that day if they're back-to-back seeing clients and are so focused on seeing that individual patient, whoever that is, each hour and whatever their issues are that they're working on, that um, I hear from a lot of leaders that they have a hard time encompassing this area of leadership, the storytelling part and getting their team on board with it because they may not be marketing. They may not be doing anything else because like doctors are just going in, seeing patients and then ending their day and kind of working in these silos. What do you, what do you have to say about that? I feel like that's such a hard piece just from me with reading that is how to really rally your team when you might not be working in that sort of traditional team sense. Yeah. Well, there's, a, there's actually, I heard three different questions there uh, in the, in the question itself, and they're both extremely important. Uh, to answer the first one, how do you rally a team around a common mission? You do need communication. And so at least once a week, and my team meets four times a week at 9am, my, my, my department heads meet, and then at 10am on Monday, my entire staff meet. It's just very important even to get together for 30 minutes and making sure that we're all on the same page. And, uh, and so those meetings are really important and they can be, uh, programmed inside of everybody's week. Uh, so, so that's how you keep everybody. And in, in those meetings, every single one of them, we read our mission statement. We talk about our core values and it sounds redundant, but it's, it's aligned my team like never before. So that again is another communication issue. Um, the second thing is really that it's okay that your, your practitioners are going in and only meeting with patients and then coming out. That's really what a lot of my team does. There's only a handful of people on my 30 person staff that deal with marketing. You know, those are the people who are dealing with marketing. Everybody else is teaching business classes, filming business courses, you know, uh, creating community for our certified coaches. Those kinds of things are what's happening. So the marketing team, though, does need to be aligned. And we do need to be uh, putting out lead generators that capture email addresses and then automating an email campaign. You know, if I were coming on staff at a group practice you know, and I was a marketing person. The first thing I would do is create a couple lead generators. And by lead generators, I mean, mean articles, you know, five ways to know that you're burning out at work, three ways not to ruin your kids because we know you're scared. You know, the, then you're, you're getting those email addresses and then you're creating a sense of familiarity and trust with emails that go out uh, with great, valuable content. You're actually helping people like a therapist through email. 
And what that does is they ever walk through your door, there's already a sense of trust. And they were much more likely to actually enter into therapy, either group therapy or one-on-one therapy, because you've quote unquote on-ramped them or built familiarity. So that can be done with one marketing person that's working part-time. Nobody else really needs to know actually that it's happening. Uh, And so, so that's one way to tackle that. The third issue is um, what we call at my company, the factory floor. And basically what we want to know is what is every person, all 30 people on the staff, what is your perfect week look like? If you are optimized in terms of your performance, and of course at a group practice, it's, it's helping people. How can you help the most people without burning out? You know, so you may be able to do two or three sessions a day. Well, if you can do two or three sessions a day, and you're going to have to have that staff meeting at least once a week where we, we align around our mission. Uh, you know, you want to map that out and then repeat repeatable weeks. What happens when you don't have a factory floor laid out and everybody's perfect week outlined and keep everybody accountable to meet those perfect weeks is people start working on what they want to work on. And what they want to work on is usually busy work and not actually productive work that helps us with the mission. Yeah. So you really want to create a factory floor. And by that, I mean, you know, these are the intake sessions we have with new clients. This is how we run small groups. This You're going to, you're going to do a 10 a.m., a noon, a 2 p.m. Uh, session with clients. And that's what you want to do. That's the schedule you want to do. Everybody's going to show up for the 9 a.m. Zoom meeting, if you will. We, so we don't have to be in the same place. But they're going to show up in 30 minutes that we all are aligned as a team. It's been amazing for me, Maureen, that we, we've shut down our office for the better part of the year, or for actually for a year. And um, we have a better community and a tighter community than we ever have because we knew when we left our office, we would have to up our communication game. We'd have to create the factory floor. We'd have to work very hard on aligning the team. And we did that. And we had our biggest year ever by far and our biggest profit margin ever by far. So those practices are going to stay in play even as COVID, uh, hopefully it becomes the thing of the past. I was uh, talking with a few other people who own different businesses just about what the future of business looks like for all of us, me and my industry and them and their industries. And we were, I was talking about how interesting it is. Um, It's sort of like a blessing, this all happening just in terms of um, what it did for the business, because it really forced me and obviously everyone else to pivot really quickly. Um, And you saw areas in your business that needed uh, tending to because of that quick pivot that we needed to make. And similar to you, um, our, I feel like our communication in, in my group practice has gone up and we found really creative, fun ways to, um, connect both, uh, in a business sense, but also in kind of like a water cooler sense, which you don't necessarily right. get virtually and you get it when you're in the office. Um, and it's been really fun to create those things. And I think a lot of business owners are, you know, have been struggling with figuring that out. Like what way can they, um, shift their communication, the style, the culture of their business into the virtual world. Uh, it feels hard for a lot of people. And I'm feeling you know, lucky that we figured it out in my business. And it sounds like you did as well. Um, and it, I feel like it'll just do a ton of good moving forward, whatever you know, our business ends up looking like when COVID is over and we could go back in person, You know how we decide to do all of that. I think there'll be a lot of positives we take away from just what we've had to do hundred percent. Yeah. You know, we will never go back to the normal the way it used to be, but there will be a hybrid normal. 
yeah. uh, in terms of the way we do business. And I think it was what we just experienced, uh, though it was a, a tragedy in terms of the, the COVID deaths that took place and the number of people that were sick and what took place in the economy. There's no, there's no, uh, uh, you know, whitewashing that. It was, it was pretty tough. Uh, out of that, you know, we experienced a punctuated evolution in terms of how we do business. We will do business much better and much more efficiently. But we want to learn what those lessons are and activate them. We don't get them by osmosis. We actually have to write them down and execute changes. Yeah, that's true. Um, I wanted to get to the next one uh, question here, which is on, um, I think this was in your management section, because I feel like manage your management section for our industry is going to be the big area where people have a lot of aha moments. Um, you mentioned the uh, difficulty that leadership tends to have around communicating through conflict or uh, giving constructive uh, feedback. And um, this tip of really, how can you make sure that your team knows that you're, um, that you're for them? That's, that was kind of your thing here, as you said, yeah. like, how do you ensure that your team knows as a, as a leader that you're for them, that you want them to succeed? when giving constructive feedback. And I think that was such a eye-opening um, statement to make because a lot of, especially therapists who tend to avoid conflict in general, who um, as leaders tend to highlight all the positives and just brush off uh, any constructive feedback that they might need to give to their teams because they don't want to make them feel bad and all this stuff. It was a really, I think this will resonate with a lot of um, therapist business owners in how to communicate when their staff isn't productive or doing what they need to do or has low client retention, uh, remembering that constructive feedback, if you're doing it well, is you're giving it and they know that you're giving it because you're like you're for them. You're wanting the best for them. You want them to succeed in that. So I really appreciated that um, statement and wanted to know, what are some ways that you do that? Just, I know I'm getting yeah. on a personal end, but how do you let your team know when you have to give constructive feedback when someone's not doing something or doing something they shouldn't do? Um, how yeah. do you do that and have them feel like you're for them while giving that feedback? Yeah. You know, we just call it healthy feedback sessions where you're able to sort of poke holes in ideas. And usually it's about ideas. Uh, we, we call that's a part of our culture. Um, I will say that my, my journey as a leader has really taught me that I can criticize somebody uh, and they will accept it and change only to the degree that they know I'm for them. And so if, if I'm only for them truly a little bit, uh, I can only criticize them a little bit and they can only metabolize that much criticism. But if I am really for them and I'm trying to figure out how to help them win in their career, I can be downright, uh, you know, critical pretty to a high degree. Uh, I, there's a great documentary that's fun to watch. It's a series on Netflix called Last Chance You. And it's about a basketball coach who's teaching, who's coaching the East Los Angeles Community College. Uh, I can't remember. I think they were the Eagles. Uh, and uh, it's their basketball team. And, you know, he makes $15,000 a year. He's an incredibly successful coach. He could go someplace and get a quarter million dollars a year, but he stays. He stays with these kids and he's got them from a terrible losing record for a hundred years to, you know, 26 and one and just incredible basketball playing going on at East Los Angeles Community College. And, and he will get in these kids face. I mean, he will just he will get up in their face and tell them they're being lazy and this is ridiculous. And why did you even show up? And they love him for it. 
And the reason they love him for it is because he's getting $15,000 a year and they know he could make a quarter million. And they know that if he had to take a bullet for them, literally he would. And they know that he understands that they probably didn't eat a very good meal last night. And he understands that there's a gang tempting him. And he's talking to them about that. He understands that these kids need to be in church and he drags them to church. <laughs> just, he just, he has sacrificed his life for these kids, which allows him to get in their face and say, you are screwing up. You are better than this. And I told you not to do that. I don't think any of us can do that in the workplace because sports are really different and coaches <laughs> and players are really different. But at the same time, you know, I caught myself recently wanting to just go to somebody and say, hey, listen, I don't even know why you're doing this. This is just so dumb. I can't believe you're doing this. And I realized, you know, that they're not going to accept that feedback. You know, what they need for me to say is, hey, I saw you were trying to do this. Let me tell you how I've solved that problem in the past, because I think you'll be able to take it with you. And it'll be a great tool that will really enhance your career. They will listen to me all day long, all day long. And, uh, you know, it, really what it comes down to, Marina, I hate to say it. It just kind of comes down to daily checking our heart, saying, are we for these kids or not? Yeah. And if we if we if we're for these people who are working for us, I, I don't mean to call them kids. Sometimes they are kids, but you know, if you're for these people who are working for you, uh, and your heart is there, you can really drive them. You can really drive them. And I would also say that people pleasing and trying not trying to get people to like us is not actually super healthy for the people who work for us. They don't need that. Mm-hmm. They've got friends. They've got friends. Uh, what they need is a coach. They need a guide. They need somebody who's going to. I believe if somebody comes and works for me, uh, in a few years. If they want to leave, they should be way more valuable on the open market. That there's yeah. something about coming and working for Donald Miller and Business Made Simple that makes you incredibly valuable. And I don't mind having to deal with poachers. I don't mind it. I'm I'm 100. Uh, you know, it affirms me that people are always trying to steal my staff. Right. I was and, actually gonna. That's funny because yeah, someone it's um, affirming. brought this up in my Facebook group about the idea of poaching and. You know, we're super offended that another group practice owner was poaching um, therapists in their practice. And there was all this, you know, discussion in this in this Facebook, my Facebook group about poaching and what is it? What does it mean in our industry and what do you feel about it and all this? And I remember thinking, um, you know, I look inward if it's happening in my practice, if it were to be happening, I would look at what is it that these the poaching is happening and the people are leaving and going, what is happening within my organization that um, is allowing people to leave. Right. I mean, if mm-hmm. I'm creating yeah. a space exactly where, it. yeah, where people feel like they're getting to do their best work, where they're getting the support they need, where they're um, able, whatever's important to them, whether it's money or um, benefits or whatever, if they're getting the the things that they need in the business and recognition and feeling valued um, and able to do the, their best work, then they're less likely to, if they get poached, actually leave. Um, and so you mentioning that reminded me of just what I had said with, I, I don't mind if that happens. Um, I would get concerned if people consistently are leaving because then yeah, it means that yeah, I need to absolutely. be looking at something. And, you know, there's, there's, it's interesting because uh, I talked to one of the executives at Chick-fil-A because they, they, you know, they did a deep dive on retaining talent and, uh, what they discovered, I think it was Stanford university that they paid a bunch of money to, to help with the research. And what they discovered was there's really three things that are very counterintuitive that people look for to retain, to stay in their job. One is we are in complete control of, and that's a good boss. I mean, you wouldn't think that, but it's actually a good boss. So this coaching people and being for them, 
does more than just help us grow our talent. It helps us keep our talent. The second is they want a mission. And so you, you really do want to clarify what the mission of your practice is. And it, it needs to be a, an altruistic and beautiful mission that people will sign on for because people will stay for a mission. The third is a chance to develop themselves, that they are becoming better therapists. Uh, and and that's, that's easy. That's 30 minutes to an hour a week where you get all the therapists together on a Zoom call and say, hey, what'd you learn? What, what would make us a better therapist? Uh, if you ask that question once a month, even 12 times a year, you are developing your team. Get them a copy of Business Made Simple. Increase their business acumen. It costs 13 bucks. You just can't beat that. And, and those investments that you make, that's how you keep people. You're a good boss. You take people on a mission that's really important and you give them a chance to develop themselves. And, um, you know, a lot of people will work for 75, 85% of market value, even though they could go get more money because they sense that this is where I'm growing and this is where I'm happy. Why would I leave? I'm going to leave and get paid more money to be unhappy. Right. And I think that's the the faulty thinking that a lot of leaders have is that they think that the way to keep people is to pay them more. No, it's not always, it's not always that. In fact, if you start paying people a lot more, you're going to create a really bad culture because you will resent them because you know that if you pay this person $175,000, uh, in order to keep them, they're actually not worth it. They're not bringing in three, four hundred thousand dollars worth of business, and uh, you're going to start resenting it, and then you're not going to be for them, and then the thing begins to unravel. Yep. And also, people one last... know. People know. I'll just say this, Marie. People yeah. know when they're overpaid. They know. Yeah. It. And what they try, they they live in a in a cognitive dissonance of they're being paid too much money, but they're struggling to believe that they're worth it and know that they're yeah. worth it, and they're believing things that aren't true. Uh, and they live in that cognitive distance, it just creates attention. You really want to, you really want to pay people what they're worth. Uh, yeah. And I can see, I can see people also with like really overpaying feeling, um, consistently like they can't live up to, uh, expectations exactly. too. That's, you, yeah, know? you said it even better than I did. You said it, and, and that's just bad for their morale. Yeah. Yeah. So my last question for you is, um, you say a hero on a mission doesn't waste time because time is important. And I loved yeah. that statement that was in the book. So, um, and one of the suggestions you have is to build a routine when it comes to just time and investment. I wanted to know, just ending on a light note, um, what does your routine look like and what obstacles did you face in kind of figuring out, and maybe you still are, um, but what your kind of ideal routine is. So I feel like this is the biggest question group owners have is they feel torn in all these different directions, being a business owner, seeing clients or not. And that's a whole different issue of a lot of um, group practice owners end up uh, not seeing clients at some point. Like I don't anymore. There's just not enough time in the day to do the client facing stuff. The managing of the business becomes kind of front and center, but then they're pulled in all these different directions of um, staff management and, marketing maybe. And if they're smaller, you know, I have teams of people who do that in my group practice, but they feel like they're torn in all these different directions and can't seem to get um, regulated time-wise. And like you mentioned, end up getting in the weeds of like the little things, answering emails, the stupid shit that no one needs to do. So how do you, what what does your days look like? And what were some obstacles to getting to what hopefully is your ideal structure? Well, I understand if it's a struggle, first of all, it, it, it was 10 years at least of me trying to figure it out and trying different things to figure it out. But I think we've pretty much got it dialed in. And, you know, the first question that you ask yourself is what's the most important thing that I, I can do? What, what can nobody else on this, in this organization do? What do I really have to do to keep the ball rolling? And for me, that's creating content. So for me, that's writing books, 
creating courses, uh, you know, writing marketing copy, helping clients, you know, the, so from 7 a.m. to 10 a.m. every single day is writing time. Uh, two out of the five days of the week from 7 a.m. to 1 p.m. are writing time. And so I make sure that I'm up early, uh, that I'm sitting at my desk, and that I'm getting content created. I'm not perfect at it, but boy, that time is always blocked out. It's never taken. Uh, and then after that, uh, I allow myself uh, to have meetings. And there are very few meetings that I'll take. They're all internal staff meetings. Uh, and those meetings are the most important meetings then. So I need to meet with my marketing person. I need to meet with the two people who run my company. I need to meet with the head of divisions that I'm attempting to build and grow. Uh, I need to meet with my content team. You know, there are about seven meetings that need to take place. Then the next important thing for me is to record podcasts, and actually create content on video or audio. And so those are, those aren't on the factory floor yet. They tend to move around, but we're working on getting them at a fixed place on the factory floor. So the idea is you kind of figure out what your perfect week is. Then you try to live it. You give yourself a lot of grace when you don't, but you keep trying to get closer and closer and closer to a repeatable seven days that works, uh, grows your practice and doesn't uh, kill your personal life, right? Saturdays and Sundays, there's nothing. I don't book anything on Saturday or Sunday. Uh, it's, it is legitimate rest time. Uh, my beautiful wife, uh, you know, that's my goal. Number one in the world is to stay married. And so, uh, nights are hers, weekends are hers. And, uh, she would never say I'm a workaholic. You know, there are things I've given up, I've given up almost all hobbies. You know, I'm in a season where I'm growing a business. That's the most important thing for me right now. I'll get a hobby later. Uh, you know, I've given up all that. Your, because is your hobby awesome. not, uh, building your amazing house and the, you like, think so. <laughs> yeah, damn, that's 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 where the money's going. I don't know if it's my hobby or somebody else's, but uh, yeah, we're building a basically a retreat center here in Nashville that uh, is private. You know, it's just friends and family. But my wife is the oldest of seven. Her dad's one of nine. Her mom's one of six. So when the family gets together, you talk about a hundred people, and oh, yeah. uh, we're building a place. Uh, not they can't all stay here, but they can certainly have dinner and play frisbee golf and all that kind of stuff. So we're having fun with that. that but yeah, fun. you know, it's 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 only through these these principles of being able to build and scale a business that allow you to do those things. And I think building and scaling a business is made infinitely more complicated the way we teach business in this country. It's just not that complicated. There are about six things you need to figure out. You need to figure out leadership. You need to figure out product development. You need to figure out marketing. You need to figure out sales. And you need to figure out overhead. And you need to figure out cash flow. Those six things, if you understand them, they will allow you to grow and scale any business that solves a problem for a customer. And um, you know, that's why I wrote the book. And that's what I want people to understand. So if you, um, this isn't technically a question on my list, but we're going to end on this. If anyone in my audience is new to you, which I can't imagine anyone is, but let's just pretend um, or not. Uh, what would you recommend them to do next for their business that you offer? Cause you have, you have lots that you offer. But yeah, I would say grab yeah. your, your cell phone, uh, send a, a blank email to videos at businessmadesimple.com. It's just that, just videos at businessmadesimple.com. You do not have to put anything in the subject line, nothing. And what you're going to get is 60 consecutive videos that teach you how to scale a business. They're free. If you want the book companion, it's 13 bucks on Amazon. Uh, but I'll send you the videos for free because the more people we help 
you know, grow their business. And that's the more jobs, you know, the best way to help the economy is to help small businesses and group practices or small businesses. Not only that, I'm a client. I mean, you know, I've been to, I've done a lot of therapy. I did my work back in the day and I'm a big fan of on-site workshops, which takes people through a seven day uh, therapeutic experience. In fact, I've probably sent 25 people to that and paid for it out of pocket. Uh, So the more therapists there are in the world who are helping people, the more healthy people there are and the better we're all going to be. I agree. So I appreciate you coming on, Don, and uh, we look forward to meeting you in person next year (laughs) at the Group Practice Owners Conference. Thanks again. Thank you so much. Look forward to being with you in person. Thanks for listening to the Group Practice Exchange podcast. Like what you heard? Give us five stars on whatever platform you're listening from. Need extra support? Join The Exchange, a membership community just for group practice owners with monthly office hours, live webinars, and a library of trainings ready for you to dive into. Visit www.members.thegrouppracticeexchange.com forward slash exchange. See you next week.